This morning, uh, we're going to continue in our series if it's a matter of trust. And um, I wanted to read, uh, sorry to the people in the booth up there who are trying to keep up with my passages as I present them, but I wanted to read into Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, verse 13. I'll start there. It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today. And here's what he's commanding. To love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Beware that your hearts are not deceived and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the ground will not yield its fruit and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. Skip over to verse 26. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you listened to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods, little g, which you have not known following after gods that you've not known and they have no capability of knowing you. That leads us to our passage today because I wanted to show you that that was written around 1400 BC. And so we go to 1 Kings and that was written 460 BC. So you can do the math on that pretty quick and see that there's quite a bit of time that's passed. And you might think that the children of Israel, and for sure King Ahab and those that were in charge of Israel at that time, you might think that they thought God was kind of kidding around about that Deuteronomy passage. Because a long time had come and nothing had ever happened like that, so what do we have to be concerned with? And so Ahab was the king of the north, a wicked man, how many of you know that a wicked man doesn't need a partner? A wicked man doesn't need a partner. But Ahab had a partner. And she was equally as wicked as he was. As a matter of fact, she's the one that got the people of Israel to start worshiping the God of Baal. And the God of Baal, that's a little G again, that idol of Baal, not really a god if you think about it just an idol and that idol was a god of fertility and a god of the rain that's what they believed him to be the one that when they worshipped him the rain would fall and they would have fruit and they would have oil and wine and all the things that God had promised them in Deuteronomy provided they didn't forsake him and start worshipping other gods and so Ahab 
was king of the, the kingdom had split. You had the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And Ahab was put in charge as the king of the northern kingdom. And like I said, uh, how many of you have known good men? A good man is married to the wrong woman. Yeah, I've seen it. I've watched really good men be stunted in their ministry because of a wrong connection with a wrong woman. Domineering women, domineering men can go both ways. Can go both ways. Don't take me wrong. I don't want to hear from any women's livers this morning. It can go both ways. And it does go both ways, unfortunately. The importance of marrying the right woman or the right man is a huge importance. But in this case, it's very interesting. In chapter 17, how many of you ever heard of the prophet Elijah? Come on, how many of you have heard of the prophet Elijah? Man, wake up. I know you did. I know you missed an hour of sleep, but so did I. Matter of fact, I was awake at two when it went to three. When I preach, sometimes I can't sleep. Yeah, that's okay, though. The Lord empowers me. So I come here weak and let God do the strong part. So let's read it because Elijah just comes on the scene like, bam, he's right there. You know, some of the other prophets, they kind of tell you a little bit about him. Like, you think about even David in his life, you know. He, he's brought in and, and anointed as a very young boy, but he doesn't, it's 20 years before he takes the kingdom. But we get to kind of follow his life a little bit. Jeremiah, we got to see a little bit. And Elijah, he's just on the scene. He's just there all of a sudden. So let's read this passage, and then I can start to maybe unfold it. Um, I promise not to do what I did first service, and that is mix up the clock and keep preaching forever. But I feel like God had me do that for a reason. Or it could have been human error, but I think God had me do it for a reason. Listen to this. Chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, I titled this, this entire section, Trust God First. And so let's remember that as we read it. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kareth or Cherith, however you want to call it, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook, Kareth, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. I would say there was no rain or mist because that's what he said was going to happen. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said... Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, 
he called to her and said bring me a morsel of bread in your hand and she said as the Lord your God lives I have nothing baked only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug and now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. I want you to do me a favor. If you have your own Bible with you right now, I would like for you to take that line and underline it. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And then afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoke by Elijah. Trust God first. You know what? That's a command for Elijah too. He says, Elijah the Tishbite went into Ahab. All right, wait a minute. Time out. This is the king. This is the king that when you go into him, you better not put a curse on the land. You put a curse on the land, they can behead you right there, throw you in jail. So I think Elijah must have trusted God when he felt like he needed to go in and talk to the king. I believe that Elijah was preparing for this moment. He had been praying for Israel. He believed in the God of the universe, not Baal. And I think he was worshiping that God and he was praying and preparing himself for, and God was preparing him for this moment because he's on the scene right now. Bam, there's no introduction. That is your introduction. Elijah before King Ahab and this is a wicked wicked man he killed many people so far and he just goes right in trusting God I'm trusting God first he I don't see Elijah go and try and find some counsel on how to talk to the king he had a counselor that was telling him how to talk to the king so he just goes right in boom and he says it and listen to this how many of you know what the, the name Elijah even means the name Elijah means Yahweh is God let me introduce you myself to you, King Ahab. My name is Yahweh is the only God. That's my name, Elijah. They call me Elijah. Yahweh is my God. That's what it means. I'm here to tell you right now, I'm against the narrative that you and old Jezebel got going on. I'm against it. I believe in the God of the universe, the creator God, the one that holds your breath, Ahab. That's who I believe in. And I'm trusting him to stand before you today to tell you straight up that as the Lord of God of Israel lives before whom I stand, you notice he doesn't say, I stand before the king. He says, I'm standing before the king of kings. I'm standing before the God of the universe. 
Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain in these years except by my word. And he's just saying, I'm about to tell you, God is about to fulfill what he said would happen over here in Deuteronomy. And he does. You know, obedience to God, which is what Ahab did, excuse me, what Elijah did. Obedience to God is what Elijah was doing. And guess what? I'm going to tell you right now, when you are obedient to God, there's always going to be a blessing. Always going to be a blessing in it. I'm challenging you this morning. You've heard me challenge you this before. Show me one time in Scripture where men or women obeyed God that he didn't attach blessing to it. I don't think you can find it. I've been reading this Bible a long time. I haven't found one time. Somebody said, well, what about Stephen? He obeyed God and he got stoned. Yeah, he sure did. And guess what his next thing was? He got to see heavens as he was being stoned. I think there was a blessing even in that. So I, I like that, that Elijah just shows up out of nowhere. I don't, know, I don't see anything in the passages before this to even say he's coming, but he just shows up out of nowhere. Sometimes God just shows up out of nowhere, doesn't he? You ever have him just kind of show up out of nowhere? You ever go to church and the preacher is preaching something like, like today and you're sitting there saying, of all the things the pastor could have spoken on today, why is he talking about money and giving? Oh, man, I did not come here to hear that. God has another plan for you, maybe. I know there's times, maybe some of you even came today thinking, I got enough going on in my life. You come in, you sit down, and you're thinking, just tell me something good. Just tell me something good. I just need my ear tickled today. I've had a week. I had a week. I worked 90 hours this week. I don't need you up there preaching about giving. Who gave you the ability to work those 90 hours this week, I'd like to know? Who gave you the job that required you work 90 hours this week? Who gave you the skill to do that job? Have you forgotten him? And in this area of giving that we're going to be talking a little bit more about, can you trust him? Can you put him first? He requires to be treated first. That's another one. Find me a place in your Bible where God said he'd be second. He always requires to be first. You know why? Because he deserves to be first in everything. But I'll tell you what. I've had times in my own life where how many of you remember when we used to have Sunday night service every week? Come on. How'd you like to do that again? I'd love to see some Sunday night services again. Even if only, you know, 50 of you show up, at least we'll worship him together. It's amazing how fast you get used to not having Sunday nights. But I remember having Sunday night services and maybe I'd work six days that week and I was tired. And I got home, and man, the 49ers were on Sunday night football that night. And 
you know, you got to watch the 49ers when they're on. You can't just record it and watch it later. And thinking, man, I'm just exhausted. I have every right to stay home tonight because I'm just so tired. And have that thought, but then think, no, no, no. Scripture says when we come together, I need to be there. So I'm going to be there. And show up and have this man right down here preach something that felt like it was just for me. And all the blessing, all the glory would fall that night. And I would think, you idiot, you almost missed this. Because you were, and you know what? Go home with all the energy in the world, not tired one bit. Celebrate all night. Just go to someone's house and stay up till midnight. Because God showed up. Because he shows up out of nowhere sometimes. You say, well, out of nowhere you were in church. No, because for me, he hadn't showed up. I was wanting to stay home. When I got there, he showed up. And he said exactly what I needed to hear that night. He said stuff that night that was like, oh, I needed to hear that because I'm dabbling in sin. Yeah, me as a young man, I was dabbling back and forth. Oh, we can play a little bit of this and we can play a little bit of that and we can get away with it. You know what? You don't get away with things with God. You don't. The drought's coming. He'll bring the drought in your life if you want to play against his commandments. But on those nights, God would show up out of nowhere and all the things I learned those nights have stuck with me for my lifetime. That's what he does. He'll show up out of nowhere. He's that kind of God. But Elijah says, I'm going to trust God first. I'm going into the king because I'm tired of this bell worship. And I think he probably was emphatic about it. I don't think it was like, well, let me tell you, the Lord God of Israel, as he lives, I think he had a finger out. Ahab, I'm going to tell you something. I'm here to represent Yahweh. My own name says Yahweh is my God. That's what it means. God didn't waste names in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They meant something. And so he says, I'm here to tell you, Ahab, as God lives, there's not going to be any rain in this land until I come back and talk about it again. When God sends me back, I'll bring back the rain with me. And Elijah probably laughed at him. Who are you, little man? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm a representative of the Yahweh, the almighty God, the one that's in charge of letting the rain come or not letting it come. Can you imagine, just imagine this church, because I think this is what was going on in, in Elijah's own heart. Can you imagine walking through those doors and seeing a worship team up here, not ours, ours would never do this, but seeing a worship team up here singing a bunch of songs. And everywhere where we should be singing about Jesus, they're putting the name of something else in there. What would you do? What would you do? How long 
do you think it would be before the elders of this church had the security and ushers greet those folks and get them up on out of our building? It wouldn't be long, I promise you. It wouldn't be long. They wouldn't last here because we come to serve the Lord. We come to serve the Most High. Yeah. But that's what Elijah was seeing. You, you got these false gods in here. You got this God of rain. And isn't it, isn't, doesn't God have a sense of humor? I think God has a great sense of humor. Oh, you got this idol over here that you think is going to provide the rain for you. Hmm. You done forgot what I said back here in Deuteronomy. And now I'm going to hold true to it. So there's not going to be any rain. And, and let your rain God, your rain idol, provide the rain for you. Let's see what it can do. The idol you made with your own hands. Let's see what it can do for you. The absurdity of it. It's ridiculous. What idols do you have? What idols do you have? What's keeping you from trusting God first? Your material things? Are material things what you're after? You know, you got some idols out there that are preventing you from giving to the church. You know why? Because the idol's so big it takes all your resources. You needed a home, not a mansion. You bought a mansion you can't afford, you can't make the payment on it, and now you're telling me you can't give to God. Are you kidding me? It's time we wake up and start making some wise decisions. You need a car, not a Mercedes. And some of you are beyond Mercedes. You're looking for Bentleys. Are you kidding me? You need a Pinto. You need transportation. I said Pinto because I used to own one. So imagine this big old tall, long body getting in a Pinto. But what happens is that, first of all, Elijah's obedient to God. And he does what he's told to do. He had to have known the risk of going into the king. The king could have his life. And, but he didn't because God was protecting him. But what does he do? God says, now I need you to go up here. Go to that brook of Kareth. And when you get there, there's going to be water there for you. There's going to be water there for you. And I'm going to feed you with the most unlikely of resources. I'm going to feed you with a raven. Are you kidding me? I love it because Elijah doesn't even question it. He just goes. He's obedient. He just knows who, he knows who God is and he knows that following after God, God will supply. God will always supply when you follow him. Did you hear me? It didn't sound like you heard me because I didn't hear one amen. God will always supply when you're following him. So, he, he just does it. He goes and he does. And he says, I'm going to feed you in the morning and I'm going to feed you at night with the, the ravens. Do you know that that is the most unlikely source of a bird that would ever feed you? It is. They, they don't even... Here, listen to this. They're known for when a, a lamb has a baby, a little ewe lamb, they're known for sweeping in and, and, and taking that lamb and eating it. They're known for eating their own. They're known for not feeding their own offspring. And you know what? They don't do one blasted thing to earn any food. I heard Spurgeon do, I read a message from Spurgeon, 17 pages long, on he feeds the ravens when they cry. 
But he says, I'm going to have the raven, the most unlikely way, I'm going to have them feed you morning and night. And doesn't he do it? Doesn't he do it? He does. We don't even know how long he did it. But look, God's provision is promised and God delivers. God says it's going to happen. He goes to Kareth and it happens. You can rest on the promises of God. He will provide all that you need. And, you, and understand that. All that you need. Not all you want. Although he does a lot of that too. But he'll provide all that you need. And what's your job? Put him first. Put him first. Put him and his righteousness and his kingdom first. And he'll add all these things unto you. It's not me. That's him promising that. I can't promise you anything. I can promise you that you'll get the bill if we go to the restaurant. So God's provision, promise, obedience leads to God's supply. God uses the most unlikely source in the raven. God can use even those whose nature is bent against you to bless your life. Do I need to say that again? God can use the most unlikely sources, even those who don't care one iota about you. How many of you work for a company that you know the man at the top that's making all the money is not a Christian man? How many of you think that the employer that you have is out to make as much money off the sweat of your back as he possibly can? Huh? He don't care nothing about you. But guess what? God uses the wicked to supply you a job, to give you money to pay your bills and have food on the table, but don't forget to keep him first. Trust him first. And by trusting him first, it means I'm going to pull that money out of my wallet and I'm going to give it to him first. And you know what? Oh, Robert Richardson, who used to do our campaigns around here, told me, he says, Larry, you're a numbers guy. When is it that 90% is more than 100? When is 90% more than 100%? You hang on to the 100% and see how far it gets you. Go ahead. Some of you have been doing it and you're in financial ruin. I'm going to tell you, if you hold on to 90, give him 10, it's way bigger than 100%. First of all, there's a peace of mind knowing that I'm doing what my heavenly father is requiring me to do. And what do we say? Obedience leads to destruction? No, to blessings. Obey him. I'm not the one telling you to give. He said give. You can trust him for your salvation, but you can't trust him to get your bills paid. You can't trust him to feed you. Yes, you can. There's a story I heard about this little grandma. And she was African-American. Little black grandma. And uh, she's at home, and her and her neighbor had never got along. They weren't really good friends. And uh, the neighbor knew she was in need, so she went to the grocery store. And she brought in these groceries and brought them to this little grandma. And little grandma been there, began to praise the Lord 
Thank you, Lord, for these eggs. Oh, my goodness, thanks for this milk that you brought me. Thank you for the bread that you brought into my home. You know I couldn't go out and get it myself. I didn't have any money, and you just keep bringing it in. And finally, this other little neighbor lady sitting there, she goes, wait a minute. I brought those groceries into you. She goes, oh, no, honey. No, 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 you got that wrong. God brought the groceries in. He just used the devil to pay for it. Yeah, he can use the most unlikely resources to take care of you. Second section. We get into this next section where the brook gets dried up. Now listen, God provides for you. He provided for his prophet. He provided for the man of God like he said he would. But God has a nice way of moving you along to the next thing he has in mind for you. And what he did with Elijah is he says, we're going to start to dry up this brook. And the water's about to empty out. We're about to get, and you got to know that Elijah's going, eh, I'm not going to be here much longer because there's not much water left. You could see the water supply, you know, receding. And I think in this early section, the reason he took him to Kareth was he was training him. I think there's training going on there to understand the faithfulness of God. Because I'm going to tell you what, those ravens didn't miss one time bringing him food. There wasn't one time he's like, well, my stomach's growling. I don't see that raven. No, they were there morning and night, morning and night, bringing food to him. So you get to the end, though, and he's drying up the brook. Because God's got something else for him. You're not going to just stay up in the wilderness by yourself. I've got some other ministry items I'd like for you to do. So he dries up the brook. But as he dries the brook up, he says this in verse 8. He says, uh, he, he says he dried it up because there had been any rain in the land. But then he says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah or to him. And this is what it said. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Oh my goodness. This is a repetitive thing. It's, can you trust me to feed you through the most unlikely of sources? You know, widows, widows, especially a widow with children, they had no means. She was a poor widow. Widows in that society had nothing. They had no way of making a living hardly. And so go there and I'm going to have a widow lady feed you. What? Well, I guess I can believe that because you just had ravens feed me. So I'm going. So up he goes. He gets up and gets going. He goes right away. I love that he just goes right away. He's not, he's not, let's have a committee meeting to see if we should do this. Let's form a team. Let me talk to the ravens and think what, see what they think we should do. No, no, he just gets up and goes. And so, and when he gets there, as we read on, God's provision promised in verse 9, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, he's going into a little bit more populated area. Been up here in the wilderness all by himself. Now he's going into an area where it's like a city. And guess what? In looking at some of my commentaries, I see that Zarephath, that spot, is the hometown of Jezebel. It's where she came from. 
was that area. So now I'm going to have my man, my prophet, God's saying, I'm going to go right down in right where she lives. We're not hiding in the mountains anymore. You're going to go down. Now that I've got a little training in my faithfulness, I'm going to send you right down into the midst. So he goes down there, and again, obedience leads to God's provision, but not just for Elijah this time. We're going to see that, right? It's not just Elijah that gets provided. There's a partnership that takes place. And guess what? God takes care of his man. who He takes care of pastors. He takes care of, but he also takes care of the congregation. So there's a, a back and forth that goes on. You know, sometimes you come and see me in the offices during the week and you allow me to minister to you. And you allow me to minister to you right now by preaching. But you don't know how many times you've ministered to me. It's reciprocal. It's a back and forth relationship. When God says, I'm taking care of both. But it takes obedience again. He has to obey. He has to get up and go down to Zarephath. And then the unlikely resource again, the widow. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And at the gate of a city, that's where like everything entered to the city that way. So all the big rigs back then, which was oxen with wagons, drove through that gate. And they had people out there that would gather wood and and sticks and stuff to go into the city to sell so people could have fires. But anything that fell off, they left it. They didn't come back in and, oh, let's get off the wagon and grab that real quick. No, they left it for people like this widow so they could go gather the sticks. And so that's what she was doing. And what's he do? He said, well, I, I don't know that Elijah was sure that she was the woman. I'm not positive of that. I think it obviously works out that way, but I'm not, I think he might have been testing her a little bit. Can you just get me a little jar of water? He asked her, can you get me a jar of water? And, and she says, sure. She just does it. I'm like, man, she obviously does not live in the Bay Area. Because she just goes and gets the water. And then he called to her, and as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand also. And then she said, as the Lord your God lives, no, she doesn't call him her God. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And you know, now, I didn't say this earlier, but Elijah is a big dude. They, they compare John the Baptist to what Elijah looked like, a big hairy guy, you know, the big beard and all that. Probably looked like my son's beard or Grant Pinkston, you know, those big beards. And so he says, well, just bring me a morsel. So there's a big dude. What do you think about it? A handful of flour and a little bit of oil, and you mix that together, make a cake out of it, put it in the oven, and you bake it. I don't think there, if, he, if she's gonna feed him, I don't think there's anything left for her or her son. But what was the promise? Let's go on. And now I'm got, she says, I'm gathering just a couple sticks so I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, so think about this. My wife and my son, when he was little, I could out-eat both of them, showing up now. But I used to be able to do that. Now that my son's gotten a little older, he can out-eat 
me and my wife. But so the cake that was necessary for her and her son to eat was exactly what he needed to eat. Okay? So she's given up everything she has. She's given up all of it. On what? On the promise of the man of God saying, and when you do this, let's look at it. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Don't fear death. There's a death charge there. Not depth, death charge. I'm going to go and make a cake for me and my son, and we're going to eat it, and we're surely going to die. We're going to die. Because there's nothing left after this, and I have no way of getting it. There is no grain in the land. There is no oil in the land, because it stopped raining. Some guy, I don't know who he is, went in and saw the king and said, it's not going to rain anymore, and it hasn't rained since then. You, you know about that, don't you, sir? And Elijah's going, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour, I'm sorry, do not fear, I'm sorry, back up to 13, I got ahead of myself. Go and do as you have said, but first, Make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. All right, so I said this in the early service. Can you imagine this? You only have enough food for you and your son and instead of that, I'm gonna tell you, this big burly guy says, well, give me your food and you guys don't worry about it. Can you imagine what would happen to that guy on social media today if he asked someone to do that? We would, we would torch that guy on social media. But that's why it happened back here. They had no social media. First, make me a cake. Give to the Lord's servant first. Give, to, give back to... When you give to the Lord's servant, as she's doing... You're giving it directly back to God. That's all you're doing. So, and afterward, kind of presumptuous, after, I've, after you've made the cake for me, then go ahead and make you guys something. What? By the time we make you something, there won't be anything left to make. But look at this. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty. You're going to go back and there's going to be more flour in the jar and you're going to go back and there's going to be more oil in the jug. Until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth, this was probably at this time, this drought lasted three and a half years. They predict that he was at Kareth probably around six months. And now, if you do this, there'll always be flour, there'll always be oil until it rains on the earth again. That's a three-year grocery bonanza. And she went and did it as Elijah said. Went in and did as Elijah said. Do you see a little faith reaction from this woman? I see a huge reaction of faith in believing in the God that Elijah is talking about and really you think about it she had nothing to lose she was going to eat and die anyway 
You know, God just shows up out of nowhere again. She was getting ready to eat and die, and God sends the prophet to her house and says, if you just make my man the cake, I can promise you you'll never go hungry until it rains again, and then you won't have a concern anyway. And listen to what he says. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. Many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke through Elijah to her. Okay, so Elijah made a promise to her. He made a promise, if you make me the cake first, God, by the power of the Lord God of Israel, the one, the, the live living one above, who's taking control of your next breath, lady, he's promised to fill the flour up for you. He's promised to make sure the oil doesn't run out. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust him first of all? And she does. There's an act of faith here in her doing that. Like I say, you might look at it and go, well, she had nothing else to lose. But she didn't know that at the time. She was going on what this man had told her, and he was saying the right things, and she must have thought he is the man of God. So that God becomes her God in this process. And so, that's interesting, isn't it? As I studied this passage, I'm thinking, now there's more to it. If you want to read on, you can read on that the son dies. And Elijah's living in the house with her because he keeps getting that food. She keeps providing food. And then the son gets ill and dies, and Elijah goes and takes that child from her, goes up to his room with the child. He prays over him, does some uh, three times he lays on top of this young boy, gets up, the boy gets resuscitated. It's the first time in the Bible that anyone's been resurrected from the dead. Is right here. He brings him back down and puts him in the arms of his mother. What if she had said no? What if she'd said, no, get your own bread, buddy? Who do you think you are asking me for bread? Can you see I'm a widow? I'm the poorest of the poor, and you're asking me to feed you. Now, I'm not asking you, but God's asking you. And so she got it. So what I'm wondering is, when it comes to your resources, when it comes to your resources, God requested of her everything. Her being obedient to the prophet could cost her her life. And she knew that. Where do we have, we have a story similar to that in the New Testament, don't we, where the little woman comes and gives her offering? And all the rich people came by in front of Christ standing there and gave great amounts of wealth. So they're trying to impress him. But the little widow woman came by and she dropped two copper coins. I won't even call them pennies because there's an argument that they weren't even worth pennies. But it was all she had. And what does God say? She gave the best offering she gave everything so this morning when you know where you're sitting right now you know you know how much you give I don't want to know how much you give that's between you and God but are you trusting him first 
Are you doing biblical giving where you're giving out of the first fruits? And I'm pretty sure none of you are giving all of it. Right? One more thing, and then I'm going to go. Now, that was my approach to this sermon. That was my approach to it. God has a plan that says, I'm going to provide you resources. He's got a plan for your life. Are you looking for another plan? Let me ask you. God has a plan to take care of you, and he wants you to minister. He's got a ministry for you. He's got a job he's given you. He's given you, he's given you a skill set, and he's got a plan. Are you looking for a different plan? If you are, why are you doing it? You can't hold on to more money than what he's going to allow you to hold on to anyway. You might as well give it to him. Don't give it to me. Don't think when you put your money in the offering, you're giving it to the staff. Yes, that money helps the staff continue to work in this church so we can continue to produce and put out the gospel of Jesus Christ to the community, to your children, to your high school and junior high students, to have a worship ministry. To do all the things we do in ministry requires funding. It just does. I wish it didn't. But it does. You want lights on, don't you? It'd be pretty hard to read your Bible in here in the dark. Hey, next week you don't have to give, but you got to bring a flashlight so you can follow along. And you got to sit up real close so you can hear me talk because we can't afford to do the mic. No, no, it takes funds. It takes money. And guess what? Money in your wallet that God gave you right now. All of you know how much money you got in your wallet. If you don't know how much money you have in your wallet, you got too much. I know I got $22 in my wallet right now. I know it. Don't ask me for it either. Okay. So knowing that, knowing how much you have, how much of that money that you have in your wallet did you give God some money off of? It's an honest answer. It's an honest question. I'm not asking, don't answer it. That's a rhetorical thing. Don't, don't do that. This woman gave it all, and what happened? Did God take care of her? God not only took care of her, he took care of the prophet, and he took care of her son. So what's he asking from you today? I had a lady sitting right back there one time. I taught a financial class. Got a hustle here. Taught a financial class. She sat back there, and I asked her if she had put aside some money for emergencies. She said, well, can I ask you something, Larry? I said, sure, what's that? She says, can I stop giving to charitable things so I can get that money put together? I said, oh, you mean Red Cross and, and, and UNICEF and all that? Yeah, you can quit giving to them. You're your own charity when it comes to that. But if you're talking about the money that God's requiring that you give, absolutely not. I'm gonna promise you something, people. I'll make the promise to you now. If you put God first in your giving, you will never run out of a supply. And your needs will always get met. You know how I know that? Because I know about 500 people that went to the church that God conquered their hearts in giving, and they've been given ever since, and God keeps supplying for them. This little lady sat back there. She goes, all right, I'm going to do that. Because I went on a diatribe of why you give to God first. After that, it probably took about half the class to tell her she should do that. At the end of that class, about 12 weeks later, I talked with the class. I said, what did you learn in here? Did you learn anything that's going to help you with your finances? Her hand shot up back there. She says, I just know that coming to this class and learning these truths 
about giving uh, I just know that at the end of the month I got money left now and I didn't used to have I said well, well now wait a minute you got a raise right oh no I didn't get a raise well then somebody died and left you in Harris no no that didn't happen either I go well well you got a second job no no I just made God first and now I used to not have enough money to make the month now I got money left over at the end of the month what how does that happen last thing I saw in this passage and it's just something it's amazing I, I usually type notes up Saturday night just what I do it drives Pastor Phil crazy that I do it on Saturday night but I do and I typed this up last night and this, this thought hit me in this passage in that second section for sure God takes care of the vulnerable for the people who cannot protect themselves or provide for themselves he takes care of them this is a widow woman what a way for God to show who he is by taking care of the widow woman and her son he could have took care of the prophet all kinds of ways but he says, I'm going to tell you later that it's your job to feed the widow and the orphan, but I'm going to show you the example of how to do it. And so he does it in this passage. But listen to this. Taking care of the widow and the orphans is the way he showed that. We need this picture of him taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves. And if you don't think that this is where you are at, if you don't think this is you this morning, you're missing the point. You are the most vulnerable all it takes is one sickness to wipe you out. All it takes is one calamity and all the peace and joy you feel today will feel like it's gone tomorrow. God cares for the vulnerable. And you are part of the vulnerable. While you were yet a sinner, I can't say it without crying. While you were yet a sinner, you were at your most vulnerable state when you didn't know who he was. You had hell in your future. You talk about vulnerable. Eternity in hell is vulnerable. But then he sent Christ to die for you. He provided for you well. He did such a good job. On a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame oh how I love that old cross where he suffered and died for me and when you need to be bailed out and you can't provide it for yourself and no company and no other person can do it for you he sent his only son for you how much more will he do for you than he's already done Oh, I'll use the words of Pastor Phil that he said, do all your complaining about having to give at the foot of the cross. And oh, if you're here this morning, you're here going, why is this guy talking about money? Why is this guy talking about God? What's he doing up there? Oh, I want to introduce you to my Savior. You're vulnerable this morning. If you don't know him, you're vulnerable. That little widow woman was vulnerable beyond her means to eat food. And God took care of that too because she believed in him. He suddenly became, that's your God, Elijah. 
to I'm going to have faith in this God that I'll give up everything I have for his person. Oh my, oh my. If you're here this morning and you feel that vulnerability that you don't know him, oh, please don't leave here until you talk to one of the pastors. Please don't do that. And if you go past those doors, you won't come back in. I just know you won't because you'll get busy and you just won't come. If he's talking to your heart this morning, don't waste this opportunity. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the word of God. How I thank you that you didn't tell us to take care of the vulnerable. You showed us that you took care of them. And in the room is probably 200 people that at one time were vulnerable while we were yet sinners. You sent a son, your only begotten son. And oh, Jesus, can we just say thank you this morning that you would leave heaven, take on a body, die on a cross, buried and rose again on our behalf. You took my sins there on that cross and you paid the cost and then you were resurrected to show that you had conquered death it's more important than God you know it's more important that the people who don't know you get to understand that we, we don't want their money in the offering we want to give them the free gift of Christ but all oh, the saint in the room if you're not given I just don't know why you don't. You're missing out on God's blessings. You really are. So Father, thank you for the example of this little woman, this little widow woman, and the, the obedience of your prophet and the, the boldness that they trust. He trusted you first. He trusted you to go into Ahab and tell him that. He trusted you to provide his meals for him. He trusted you, and you came through time and time and time again. Everyone in the room that's ever trusted him and had him come through, raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. If you've ever trusted him when you didn't have anything and he came through. Oh, yeah. He's done it for all of you, hasn't he? He has. We say thank you, Lord. We say thank you, Lord. We say thank you. Bless these people now in Jesus' name. Amen.